This is the range of emotion that my wife has, which has become something that, after 20 years together, that I just simply adore. And I'm able to capture these moments when they happen. A lot of the times you can reflect back on something. But I remember our wedding day and the reception and how much fun we had. And more specifically, I remember watching Nicole laugh and smile the entire time. So much so that when we got back to the house after all the festivities had ended, she was actually crying in pain. And the pain was because she had been smiling and laughing so much. I'm not sure if any of you have had that great of a time that you were in pain from smiling. But I remember her laying on the couch to kind of catch her breath once we got back to the house. And she was actually like rubbing her cheekbones because she had been laughing and smiling so much for so many hours straight. The range of Nicole comes into play, though, mostly on things where no one else notices. No one else is around. Last week, we had an appointment in the evening, and it was taking a lot longer than we wanted it to. And we had not had dinner, and so hunger pains were starting to develop between both Nicole and I. Once we realized it was going to be an hour or two more before we actually got to eat some food, we looked around the area and we located a vending machine. We were pleased to find out that it had a debit card option. Nicole walked up, made my selection for me. As I came back around the corner, Nicole looked at me and said, Oh my God, two for one, and then began to do the Cabbage Patch dance. Now, I need you, I need you to do this. If you're not sure what the Cabbage Patch dance is, please go to YouTube quickly and look at it. I need you to envision this. Now, we are in a public place in front of a vending machine in like a little waiting area with people walking by at any given time. But Nicole is full on cabbage patch while saying two for one. Basically what happened was <laughs> when she put the code in, the chips that she selected got stuck for a moment, but then suddenly two bags fell to the bottom of the vending machine. So she paid for one, but got two bags of, <laughs> I think it was Cheetos. But the level of happiness and excitement for saving 75 cents launched my wife a grown-ass woman into public cabbage patching while repeating the phrase two for one with the biggest smile on her face. The funny thing about Nicole and the range that she has is I am fully aware that the happiness that she felt on our wedding night when her face was hurting was basically just a stretched out version of two bags of Cheetos for the price of one while doing the cabbage patch dance in front of a public vending machine. I absolutely love her. You are now listening to the Just Breathe Podcast.
So we've talked about a few things that I consider underrated in some of the previous episodes. And I want to continue that series, but today we're going to switch it up to what is overrated. Now, as I qualify my own segment on my own podcast, this is purely subjective. So you may have agreed with my underrateds. You may have disagreed. Nothing will change with my overrateds, except for maybe this one. In fact, I'm hoping that none of you can even relate because maybe you've never been. But in today's segment of underrated, overrated, we're going to go with something that I consider based on horrible experience as overrated. And that is the good old pawn shop. Now, most likely most of you thought immediately of Pawn Stars. Great play on words. I used to be really obsessed with Pawn Stars until the skeptic in me took over. Those who know me know that I can be really judgmental of television shows. Like, I can't just enjoy a movie or a reality show at surface level, especially when they try to sell it as fact. Quick example, if I'm watching a reality show, if you guys remember the show Home Makeover, I forgot what it's called. Hold on a second. The TV show where they had the big bus in front of the house and they would go, move that bus with that guy, Ty something. Again, I don't research my own stories. But the premise really quickly on that show was that this group of construction workers were going to show up at these people's houses unannounced and surprise them with, number one, a trip to Disney World, I believe it was, for like a week. And then they were going to take seven days to completely renovate and flip their house from garbage to mansion. Now, the premise, okay, it's innocent. But the skeptic in me cannot watch the show with that idea because this is how I think when I watch a show. Number one, I go, hold on. So these people don't know they're coming, but they're going to show up and knock at the door and then send them to Disney World for a week. I automatically go, are the parents not working? Do they have to call their boss and get the time approved off? What about the kids? Are they in school? Like, that's how I think. It's really weird. Secondly, when this group of people walks up to this unsuspecting family's home and knocks on the door, we have a camera angle. This is how annoying I can be. We have a camera angle of Ty and the construction crew knocking on the door from the outside. But immediately it flips to inside the house and we see the unsuspecting family who just so happened to be completely dressed and ready for the day opening the door. So that means there's a camera crew inside the house. (laughs) I explained this way too much. This is how I watch shows. I go, wait, they had to know they're going to Disney World. So I get mad that they pretend that the family didn't know when in my heart as a human, I go, you have to plan with your boss. Not on. That's not true. Yeah, I can be annoying. So anyways, back to Pawn Stars and Pawn Shops. Pawn Stars was another show that I felt that way. I was a big fan of it until I started looking at some of the background people moving around and stuff. And so I understand that it's television. I know that when a show is called reality, that is really stretched out. I know most of this stuff is scripted, etc. But Pawn Stars was not really overrated. Pawn shops in my personal life were. I have genuine horror stories and heartbreak situations that took place in front of a glass counter 
sliding over a DVD collection, video games, an Xbox gaming system, jewelry, on down the line, knowing that while I still signed that little piece of paper that showed me my last day of grace, I was never going to see it again. Especially growing up as I went from high school into adulthood, let me give you an example of where my mindset was. We talked about blockbuster music and going to listen to CDs in one of my previous episodes when considering things that are underrated. One such Tuesday, Boys to Men, one of my favorite groups growing up and even to this day, was releasing the album Evolution. As a newly immature kid out of high school, I was not working and did not have the $20-$25 it would take to purchase said CD. Unfortunately, there was no such thing as Spotify or YouTube. In fact, Napster and LimeWire were not even around. So, (laughs) in order to get a $20 CD, I picked up my big-ass 32-inch tube television, put it in my car, and drove down to the pawn shop. I got $40 for it. (laughs) I pawned a TV to get a CD. My wife, to this day, still holds a horrible grudge, but it's held rightfully so because I was always trying to pawn something, and one of the things that we pawned was her CD collection, which I've tried to tell her to this day, Spotify replaced the need for any CDs, but she's one of those, I like the hard copy, I want to have the genuine DVD Blu-ray case, even to this day. She collects Blu-rays when we have the same movies on digital format. But CD collections, I pawned a <laughs> I pawned a microwave. I lost my 32-inch television just so I could listen to Boys to Men CD. My class ring, that's probably one of the ones that's more of the heartache thing. And I don't even remember what I got for it or why I pawned it. But taking things to the pawn shop and then going in a couple of weeks later to extend it and pay more than they ever gave me, I almost lost relationships inside of a pawn shop. Sometimes I would even pawn things and then buy stuff with the money I just got on the same visit from the pawn shop. Highly addictive for some reason, knowing that I was getting ripped off. I'm hoping that your experiences with pawn shops have been limited, if any. In fact, I think pawn shops can serve a purpose in certain situations that are extreme, but I was at a pawn shop as regularly as most people go out to eat, and it was a very bad situation, and I probably kept a lot of the San Antonio pawn shops in business just from the amount of items that I would take in there, get 10% of what it was worth, only to lose it. Pawn shops. Severely overrated.
So one segment that I mentioned I wanted to do throughout the podcast is recommending television shows or movies that I may have come across, and I haven't done it this season yet, and so I figured now is a good time. Forgive me as I'm still trying to shake off the chills from that little musical piece because the scene, the show, the episodes are still with me. If you're not familiar with where that came from, the television show is called Them, and it is currently on Amazon Prime. I felt this is a good one to start with because it's fresh on my mind. And while we haven't finished the series yet, I believe we're on episode 7 of 10, it's been so powerful to watch in a million different ways that I wanted to begin my recommendation with the television show, Them. At the same time, this is the first time probably that I'm recommending something with a general surgeon's warning, because this show is full of triggers on so many levels. I was trying to think of a way to describe what them is if someone had never heard of it, and it is very difficult to do. If I were to try to abbreviate the plot, it's basically about a black family that moves into Los Angeles Compton area, which is all white families at this time, and we have these forces that are both supernatural and natural from other worlds as well as next door with threats and mocking and taunting all with the goal of trying to destroy the black family get them to leave get them to move away however that is really a cheap description the show is a horror drama which is a rare breed especially a good horror drama. And it basically explores the transition of cultural and racial lines being crossed. And in addition, it explores the terror in America that black families have faced. This series takes place in the 1950s and it follows the Emery's as their family moves into this all white neighborhood, as I mentioned. And forgive me as I'm stuttering through this description because I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. Like if someone said, what is that show about? There were some true story elements when the advertisement first came out. And when I looked it up, I noticed that, okay, well, this is not necessarily built on a true story. Again, there's supernatural things that are taking place in the show. But there is true story through lines throughout this show because it really depicts what African-American families faced even if some of the instances in this show are exaggerated which i don't think they are i had a conversation with the true story elements about this tv show with my daughter and i found myself saying well it's not really based on a true story and then we have stories like the jonathan pentland army sergeant in south carolina who is basically a really quick snapshot of what this show takes to the extreme I was first drawn to this series based simply on the trailer. It has a lot of Jordan Peele effect to it. If you've seen Us or Get Out, it has that kind of flavor. But if I dare say, I believe this show does what Jordan Peele is trying to do much better. Now, I was a fan of Us and Get Out, probably Get Out a little bit more. But them seems to, while borrowing from some of the elements, seems to perfect 
things that Jordan Pill has done a pretty good job of doing. This series is ultra captivating. I was drawn in by the supernatural elements. For those who know me, I love horror movies and TV shows and things like that. But very early on from episode one, as I mentioned earlier with the triggers, we are not only witnessing some supernatural elements and asked to give some gracious leeway to what is going on with this family, but we are introduced to yet again some visual representations of what racism was like and unfortunately is like. Now, it's not a political show. You are met head on with racial divide, but it's done in such a way that it caters to the viewer in almost an educational way, but without making it seem like you're watching CNN. I must warn while I recommend because the show presses so many buttons. I keep saying the word trigger and it quite literally triggered in my own family. If you dare to take on this series, I must warn you that it becomes very difficult to watch in some situations. And this is coming from a guy who has seen a lot. If there's a horror movie or a TV show, I've seen it. This show still somehow has raised the bar to show some very explicit, difficult scenes to watch. For those who have seen or maybe those who are thinking about it, I am referring especially to episode five, which is actually a shorter runtime than the rest of the episodes. And I want to believe that that is because what you have to witness during that episode. The episode was so shocking between my wife and I that my wife actually had a panic attack. Now, you might think I'm trying to exaggerate or that they're paying me to advertise this, and it's not, because I know sometimes that can be sensationalism. We watched episode five, finished episode six, and started to watch episode seven, and my wife was suddenly breaking down in tears, which was led on quite obviously by episode five. So this is a little bit weird. I <laughs> I'm, I am recommending it from a television show fan, a horror fan, a drama fan, a history fan, because the show is put together so well, even though what you're watching is incredibly difficult to digest. So disclaimer, if you will. In fact, episode five starts off with a disclaimer, which does not appear in any of the other episodes. So I knew right off the bat, okay, what's going to happen here? But I was not expecting to sit through what the viewer had to sit through the soundtrack <laughs> coming off that the soundtrack is amazing and it has helped me update my playlist a million times aside from that song that this segment opened up with old black joe will never be anywhere near any playlist just because of the way that that song is presented in this show so if you dare and maybe i'm overselling it but i'm doing that on purpose the show is difficult to watch in some scenes, but I do feel it is a must-see series. We haven't finished it yet, so I'm not sure how it wraps up to give a total review. But from what I've seen so far, if you're not watching them on Amazon Prime, I highly recommend it. But be prepared to maybe have to close your eyes now and then. All right, that's my TV series recommendation for the month. Next up, we're going to jump into the final chapter of our big move as I discuss my youngest son, 11-year-old Caleb, and I kind of give you my thoughts around the same way we did with Cassidy and Aiden, 
where Caleb is today. We'll take a little journey in a time machine back to how it was watching him grow up and maybe what the future holds for him as he also has his own vantage point from this big change that's taking place in a couple of weeks. Don't go anywhere. Okay, let's talk a little bit about my son, Caleb. This guy has been featured on several short, funny segments of this podcast, but I've never really taken a deep dive into the man, the myth, the legend, the superhero that is Caleb. I'm going to do my best to maybe not hit all of the big stories around Caleb's life, but at least introduce some of the major ones so we can get us a foundation of who this kid is. We are finishing up the series, I guess we're calling it that, for this big move transition that we are doing. And I discussed Cassidy, I discussed Aiden, I discussed our decision and why we're moving, and now finally we find ourselves ready to talk a little bit about Caleb. And I said it kind of half-heartedly in the previous episode that Caleb may have the most difficult challenge ahead of him because I think when you break it all down, his life is changing the most. And even if you argue that my life or Nicole's life is changing, we're also able to deal with it as adults. Caleb's going to be facing these challenges as an 11-year-old, 12-year-old kid. And so I know that's going to bring different challenges that he has not faced before. But let's back up. Caleb is a very special young man, and I want to talk a little bit about why he's special. Now, just being my son and my child, obviously, he is special to me, but we went through some very difficult, dark times with him when he was first born that began a bond between him and I that was magnified by some other challenges we faced afterwards. And I will admit right out the gate that Caleb is very catered to by me. (laughs) Uh, I already know what I'm going to say. I already know how I live and it's still funny. It's not funny because I'm hilarious. It's just funny because I know how I treat him. He's almost as tall as me today. He's 11. He's about three or four inches shorter than me. So almost eye to eye. It's getting a little weird, but I still treat him as if he (laughs) is a newborn reindeer trying to learn how to pull a sled. Is that a good analogy? I don't know. But let's back up. Caleb. Oh, man. When Caleb was born, we faced a pretty difficult situation with him, and we almost lost him. Around day 26 that we had him, we were at home, and we had noticed that The previous few nights throughout the day, he was having these coughing attacks because he was such a small infant and not really knowing how to clear his throat or cough or how to breathe through a coughing attack. His natural reaction was to hold his breath in these really prolonged, terrifying sessions that would go on for 10, 15, 20, 25 seconds to where his whole body color would change. And while at first it wasn't that extreme, it was getting worse, it seemed. 
I remember day 26, he was laying in our bed in our room, and he started to have one of these attacks to where he couldn't breathe, or he wouldn't breathe. There are some challenges that you face that you simply feel helpless. This was one of them for me, because I'm sitting here with this infant. I can't tell him what to do as far as to breathe or to clear his throat or to cough. He can't tell me what he needs because he's an infant. And I'm ill-experienced with any type of situation that's not like a Heimlich or somebody's choking on something. This was something new and different Nicole and I had not seen. I remember that day 26 and him having one of the more serious attacks of this few days. And I picked him up, his body almost limp in my arms, and we're deciding to go to the emergency room. Not even time to dial 911 because... He felt like he was dying in front of us. I remember picking him up with my left hand and holding him against my chest. And as I walked out of the room, I took my right hand and swung and put it through the sheetrock of my bedroom wall. Anger was fueled on by desperation, sadness, and confusion at what was taking place. I remember I had a truck back then. I had like an extended cab and Nicole hopped in the back with him. I'm driving 100 miles per hour to get us to the ER. Once we get in there and checked out, they kind of see that there's nothing really that they can notice, but the doctor wisely decides to keep him overnight just in case. One of the best things that ever happened in that situation because later that night, Caleb had another attack, and I feel had we been at home, Caleb would not be here today. I have a video presentation in images of this exact ordeal that we went through, I will post that on the Just Breathe Facebook page for those who want to view it. It kind of shows you some pictures as he was a little tiny guy admitted into the ICU and the journey that he went through. But day 28, he was put into the ICU, the infant's version of that. What's it called? P-I-C-U? N-I-C-U? It's something with the ICU at the end. He was in the hospital for almost 30 days from that point. The first two to three weeks, he had these attacks probably every two hours. And machines were keeping him alive during these attacks. His heart rate would drop. He would hold his breath. He would fight against it. And we were somehow forced to even use a breathing apparatus to help him breathe through it. I saw him turn purple so many times, standing there at that hospital bed, completely oversized for how big he was, this little kid with more wires on him than skin. You could just barely make out that it was a baby. There were so many wires and tubes hooked up to him. He couldn't eat out of a bottle because of the attacks. And so they had to insert feeding tube up through his nose, which after the first time he ripped them out, which was horrifying to experience. So then they had to tape them to his face, keep his arms by his side. And this was just so he could eat. My wife, and I've described her as amazing a million times, stayed every single day. Of course, we still had Aiden and Cassie at home, so I stayed as much as I could. But my wife pulled up a chair and laid beside him in that room every single day for almost 30 days straight. We got so close to Caleb passing away so many times 
It was a situation to where your heartstrings and your love and your compassion for your son, your child, was literally being pushed to the limits of it's over. He's dying only to get relieved for a couple hours and then to face the nightmare over and over again for over 25 days straight. As he got closer to being finally let out of the hospital, obviously they were able to remove the feeding tube, which was a celebration because now he could eat on his own and through the bottle. He wasn't having attacks. I believe what he had at that time was something called whooping cough. I think there's a newer name for that. I, here's a question. How come I don't research my own stories before I do my podcast? How many times do I ask myself a question while I'm talking? Sorry. It was whooping cough, but there's a different name for it. It's, it's just escaping my mind right now. But I know that for me personally as his dad, standing there at that hospital bed, watching him almost die, and I'm not exaggerating it, it was close. Watching my son almost die dozens of times in front of my face, knowing there was nothing I could do. Couldn't talk him through it, couldn't pat his back, just had to stand and watch. Think of that, if you just... We're put in a scenario where you're watching one of your children dying in front of you, but you can't do anything about it. And then repeating that for 25 days. That's what it was like. And so a bond, unlike the ones I had with Aiden, Cassidy, and Brian, was formed between myself and Caleb because I was able, at least at that time, to see how frail life was. To know how close we came to that moment of him being gone multiple times I became increasingly and sometimes ridiculously overprotective now I don't know that I spoil Caleb maybe I do do I spoil Caleb let me think probably but I do have a different relationship with him because I have such a strong desire to make up for the fact I couldn't save his life back then may not make sense to you, but there's always been this built-in additional beyond what a normal parent feels for their children and protecting them that I want to keep him from any type of pain from emotional all the way to physical. Obviously he's had his bumps and bruises along the way and you can't protect him, but it's interesting that when he faces something difficult and it can be something really small. He could come home from school and tell me, hey, they had a football game today and they had to pick four kids and I was not picked. That example can sometimes take me back to that moment in the room where he was fighting to stay alive. It's interesting how my mind categorizes it that way. It's even worse if I find out he was bullied or pushed around. If that experience wasn't bad enough, losing my daughter couple years later, only increased the protection I have for Caleb, and I admit is the reason I am so hypersensitive around him. Now, there's been some situations that people have tried to categorize as, oh, you're just extra sensitive about Caleb because he almost died, and it really was because those situations warranted those emotions from me. But again, I do get labeled sometimes, and I just have to live with that. But the combination of almost losing Caleb and then losing my daughter put him into a category to where I want to protect him more than you typically want to protect your child. I understand that it can be a problem. <laughs> there, there's times. Here's an example. This just happened today. 
He comes in the room because he's been having some pretty bad allergies. And if I send him to school, he's going to go to the nurse and then he's going to tell him that he has symptoms and they're going to put him in quarantine because they think it's COVID. So I've been just keeping him home, letting him do virtual for the last two days. But he came in my room today. It was lunchtime. He said, hey, dad, it's lunchtime. I said, okay, can you make your food? And I told him where the food was to heat it up. He goes in the kitchen. He comes back. Keep in mind, this kid's like 6'5". He opens my door as I'm still working. He goes, um, the ice is in the way. We have a 10 pound bag of ice in the freezer. I was like, okay, son, just take the ice out and then get your food and put the ice back. He goes, I know, but it's really heavy. I was like, son, it's only 10 pounds. Just take it out. He goes, man, you're lazy. (laughs) The kid asking me to come take the ice bag out of the freezer so he could get to his pizza rolls was saying I was lazy. Now, I'm telling you, I've gotten a little better because a year ago, I probably would have gotten up and gone to move the ice bag for my little tiny six foot five giant. But I redirected him and he went and took care of it himself. But there's things like that that I know I cater to him. I hope it's not going to do more damage than good. But at the same time, I'm almost willing to live with whatever that outcome is. Caleb mimics some of the same tendencies and behaviors that my kids do. Sometimes people say that anxiety is a learned behavior. And I guess there's a small sliver of people that that qualifies for. But Caleb has been through everything I've described in this podcast as a child. He lost his sister when he was two, and he was in the doctor's office when we first heard the news. At two years old, he watched his mother crying intensely, not understanding what was happening, but knowing that something was wrong. He's gone through the years of when his oldest brother had to move away. Obviously, most recently, he's also gone through the fact of losing his cousin. I am unable to handle any of those losses as a 40-year-old and 45-year-old man. It is troubling to think of what it must be like to face those things at his age. He has high levels of anxiety. My kids all have anxiety to a degree, but it's interesting it's a little different for each one. Like Cassidy suffers the most with social anxiety. Aiden, who is the complete opposite, will take over a room full of 40 people and be the center of attention for three hours. Cassidy will barely order her own food in a drive-thru. And while Aiden doesn't have the social anxiety, Aiden deals more with a level of fear. Not even necessarily with something to pin to it, but just that something will happen. Caleb's is more similar to Aiden's, but his is a little particular. We can be in a store, for example, and and let's say we're in our local grocery store and it happens to be late at night. Sometimes over the PA, they will announce, shoppers, the store is going to be closing in 20 minutes. Please make your selections on down the line. When Caleb hears that, he is urgent on the second, reminding Nicole and I to hurry, get out of the store because he's afraid they're going to lock us in and shut the lights off. And his anxiety peaks in situations like that. Now, sometimes it's more regular, like if there's a tornado warning, he's kind of scared. Things you would normally be scared of or worried about. But he has that type of fear. That store example has happened a dozen times. So with those behaviors instilled in them based on things they've seen and based on things they've been through, Caleb's going to be facing a pretty significant challenge. He's moving away from, obviously, family. He's moving away from friends he has in school. 
but once he gets to where we're moving, his brother and sister are also moving away. Him and Aiden have shared a room for probably the last eight years. He's now going to have his own room, which is a bonus that I'm trying to use as reverse psychology. Like, hey, aren't you excited about having your own room, buddy? But it's going to be a complete different life for him from bedtime to during the day to everything. And Nicole and I are kind of in this bittersweet situation to where we're nervous about moving. More recently, we're kind of anxious to get going, but there's still levels of fear and unknown. And I know how much trouble I have trying to balance that. Again, he's 11 trying to figure that out. Every once in a while, he'll come in our room unannounced and just kind of climb up on the bed and bring up a situation like, what's it going to be like when I'm by myself? Or I hate that Cassie and Aiden are not going to be with us. So I know it's there. Obviously, he gets distracted with things and can go on with his life. But I know that that's going to be there. And we're going to have to help him through that. Again, we're not sending our kid to the moon. So some people who have dealt with this type of situation, which is millions of people each and every day moving away and kids going to college. So it's not a super uncommon thing. I'm not trying to sell it that it is, but it's my situation and now we're facing it. And so I know that there's going to be challenges with the situation with Caleb. Cassidy was my dancer. Aiden was the football player. Caleb was interested in football until he found out that you have to do exercise every day. (laughs) Caleb has taken the path of strings. He is currently a cello player. In fact, I get to see him for the first time live on May 13th, I think it is, his first concert. We've seen a few concerts, but it's all been virtual because of COVID. So I actually get to see him play in a couple of weeks for the first time ever. I'm not sure where he's going to go as far as what kind of path he wants to take once he gets to high school. As with all the kids, I've always supported and been in their corner to help guide them towards their dreams and not my own or force something on them that they don't want to do. So it'd be interesting to see which way he goes. He would really be good at sports. I think he's tall. He's lean. He's quick, but um, he doesn't like to. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't even like to get a bag of ice out of the freezer, much less exercise for an hour on a football field in 90 degree weather. Man, I just thought I've been promising Caleb a lot of stuff to make him get past this ordeal. It's like, you can have a dog, you have your own room, daddy will buy you a PC. What else do you want? That's probably not the right way to parent, right? Buy them off? You're supposed to buy your kids off? I can't remember. So Caleb's story is still unfolding, and I think it's going to be some of the content we have as we go forward in these podcast episodes, especially as we get closer to this move and the months to follow. I'll be sure to update you with what that looks like for him. Something that's not very profound that I could say is that I just love my children. I have poured a lot into them. I felt at times that I had to make up for others who were missing the mark or had chosen to not take a full effort in their lives. I think that's going to be a little heightened as we come up to this move, but knowing that Cassie and Aiden aren't there, It's going to be a little difficult to figure out how to navigate through that. We are excited. These last few episodes may sound like it's a bunch of woe is me and this is going to be the worst, but we really are excited. I'm excited for them, all three of them. This new beginning, this new direction is part of the cycle of life and how things go. So this is going to be a good thing overall. I know that we're just dealing with like the little, oh my God, what's it going to be like moments and we'll just have to 
get through that together like we have everything else. Okay, I think that's enough talking about the move. Jesus, I've been talking for four episodes about us moving. Like it's the biggest challenge anyone's ever faced in life. We're going to move away from this going forward, I promise. You're not going to hear about this at all until maybe two weeks from now. Okay? Is that a good deal? All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Hope everyone has a great weekend. And please, if you can, you're finishing right now. The episode's about to end. All you have to do is click a button or two, and you share, and you put it on your favorite social media app, and then I get more listens. I would appreciate it. All right, we'll be back next week with something new and something different. And remember, especially me, when the chaos of life gets to be too much, what do you do? You just breathe. Thank you.